Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic in the Moon podcast. As always, I am your host, Stephen, and this week uh, we are going to talk about Christianity Woodcraft. So the first thing that I want to say is that I understand why pagans and witches or, you know, any perhaps we'll say minority spirituality has valid reason to dislike Christianity. And by no means is this episode meant to be me telling anyone that they can or should be doing any sort of Christian anything. That's that's not what I'm trying to say. Um, I am also saying that if you are a pagan or an occultist or a polytheist or a witch or something like that, and you would like to incorporate elements of Christianity, you can, and there's historical precedent for people always having done so. So, um, to give some, some background information, I am not a Christian myself. I don't identify as a Christian. Um, I describe myself as a pagan polytheist um, in the multi-traditionalist context, meaning I kind of participate in different spiritual traditions in parallel to one another. Um, one of those traditions is what I would call Catholic folk magic uh, or folk Catholicism. But I do not consider myself to be a part of the institution of Christianity. Um, I do not believe that the Christian, you know, monotheistic God of the Bible is the only one true God or anything like that. So this is not me telling you what to do or what to believe or what you should not do or what you should not believe or anything like that. This is just kind of give some space to people that have decided to do both. Um, because you can, if you would like to. So the first thing that we should talk about is... What does the Bible say about witchcraft? And the problem here, the, the difficulty rather, the, the challenge, the hurdle of this conversation is that the way we understand the term witchcraft and what we think that means now in 2024 is very, very different from the way people conceptualize witchcraft during the time of the biblical authors. So in the Hebrew Bible, what the Christians call the Old Testament, one of the words that is translated to witchcraft in English, uh, or witch rather, is yedeoni. I don't speak Hebrew, so I'm not pronouncing that correctly, I'm assuming, but that's the term. Um, and this referred to someone that sought out spirits of the dead for divination purposes. So when it was referring to not doing witchcraft in this context, it was talking about a very specific, uh, a very specific cultural taboo Israelite culture at that time and was basically a prohibition against necromancy of you know, conjuring the spirits of a dead person to ask their advice or to have them tell the future for you. So if you are going to take that literally, then that is still only prohibiting a very specific type of activity and it's not a prohibition against magic wholesale. Um, the words that are often translated as witchcraft or witch, etc. in the New Testament comes from the Greek word pharmakeia, which you might recognize because it gives us our modern English words of pharmacy, pharmaceuticals, pharmacist, and the like. And it referred to someone that crafted poisons out of venomous plants. So again, this is a specific prohibition against basically making poison. Uh, it was not a prohibition against magic wholesale. And what we need to understand, too, before we can really have a conversation about this with nuance, is that a lot of the things that we have lumped into this category of modern witchcraft now 
was not considered witchcraft at the time and would have been seen as very commonplace and normal. So for example, astrology was not considered witchcraft. Um, ancient Jewish culture kind of had a tumultuous kind of on again, off again relationship with astrology, but it was a significant influence. And early Christianities relied very heavily on astrology. So astrology as we understand it now was certainly not prohibited in any context in the biblical writings. Um, we even have examples of astrology being used heavily in Christianity. So if you know this, the reason that Easter is not celebrated on a fixed date, like how Christmas is every December 25th for Western Christianity, um, it's the same calendar date every year, Easter is not. And that's because it's calculated by moon phases. Easter always occurs after the first full moon, um, after the spring equinox. So spring equinox happens and then the Sunday nearest that next full moon is Easter. So that's astrological. And then the date that was calculated based on that from Jesus's crucifixion, his death, resurrection, that's all based on astrology. Um, the birth of Christ being very near the winter solstice. Um, the nativity of St. John the Baptist, who is a relative of Jesus, is, is a pretty important character of the New Testament in the Bible. His feast day on the 20th or 21st maybe of June is very near the summer solstice. So astrology is around, has been around even in Christian contexts for a very long time. Um, working with herbs, with the exception of like poisoning, right? Uh, so perhaps not some baneful herbs or making someone ill or killing someone obviously is bad, but working with plants in general to achieve some sort of benefit very established in scripture. Um, we even see that when the Magi come to bring gifts to the Christ child, right? They're bringing frankincense and myrrh. Those are herbs. Those are still used in holy incense in the church today. Um, biblical herbs for spiritual cleansing and ritual purity exist, like angelica root, kissa. Um, so even the intercession of spirits. There's several instances in the Old and New Testaments about people being vis uh, visited by angels. Um, the Archangel Gabriel, you know, is the one that brought the Annunciation of Christ to Mary, um, and also the Annunciation of John the Baptist to his father, Zechariah. Um, the Archangel Michael is an important figure in the Bible. People have visions and dreams, especially we see that in uh, some of the gospel narratives where Joseph is visited in his dreams by the angel Gabriel, telling him, you know, that his fiance at the time, Mary, was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. She had not been unfaithful to him. Uh, the angel comes to him again and tells him that King Herod will kill the child and they have, he has to take his family and hide in Egypt. So there's these instances of things where we kind of consider them spooky or witchy now, but it was not really considered that way. It's like the intercession of spirits, working with plants and herbs, um, even doing divination is very commonplace in the Bible. Daniel was an interpreter of dreams um, for kings. Uh, the Joseph that is mentioned in the book of Genesis with the coat of many colors, he was a prophet and interpreted the dreams of kings as well. Um, that's all significant. And another good point that uh, Dr. Justin Sledge has mentioned on his YouTube channel, Esoterica, which if you haven't checked out, I would strongly recommend it. Um, 
he mentions that when something is specifically mentioned as a prohibition, that's a good indicator that people were already doing that and it was commonplace. So throughout the Christian Bible, um, in what we would call the Old Testament and the New Testament, when people are talking about don't worship other gods and goddesses, if they had to specifically say not to do it, that means people were probably doing it. Um, so that that's a good insight into the practices of ordinary people that still considered themselves Christian or perhaps Jewish, depending on the, the particular text we're looking at, how what they actually did practically was very, very different from what the biblical authors decided was canon. So with that in mind, we also have lots of historical examples of people just kind of doing both anyways. Um, for example, we know that the process of Christianization took place gradually over many, many generations. So it was not at all uncommon for the king or the royalty of a certain region to declare that they were Christian and their subjects were then assumed to have converted to Christianity or at least claimed to do so on paper in the name of their king or their ruler, but in reality kept practicing their indigenous religions that they had always done anyways. Um, we have examples also of people adopting Jesus and Mary and saints as just new gods or new spirits among the many old gods. We see this archaeologically in some parts of like Germanic regions in Scandinavia where there were cast uh, iron like molds that were used to make religious jewelry and on one side was Thor's hammer and on the other side was a crucifix. So an example of the hearth cult of what we would now call heathens or Norse pagans worshipping Thor and Christ at the same time or at least in parallel to one another. Um, there are many, many instances of pre-Christian deities being reinterpreted as saints. Um, the Irish goddess Brigid, for example, kind of having many features in common with Saint Brigid of Kildare, who was one of the patron saints of Ireland. Um, another example is the Greek goddess of agriculture, Demeter. Um, she was very prominent in what is now like Thessalonica or Thessaloniki in Greece, and she now was replaced by a male saint called Saint Demetrius, who is still the saint of agriculture. And I'm not going to go super into that specifically, um, especially not in regards to like, Marian apparitions, because I've already done some episodes dedicated to that. But some quick examples um, would be like Our Lady of Guadalupe, who appeared in what is now New Mexico City at the sacred site of the pre-Christian goddess of the earth, Tlaltique, uh, who is the Mexica goddess of like the fertility of soil and the earth. Um, Our Lady of Fatima in Fatima, Portugal, uh, she appeared in what was the sacred site of like the pre-Christian kind of uh, romantic British goddess of the sun and the healing springs called Sulis. And it's, I think, a notable feature of the Fatima miracle is that there was healing water involved. Um, Our Lady of Lourdes had a similar uh, apparition. So it's like there this concept of Christianity was just kind of a certain dressing up or reinterpretation of older spiritualities. There's lots of evidence of that. So another example, um, the Greek magical papyri includes invocations of Jesus and Archangel Michael and different saints, but also pagan deities like Hermes, like Thoth, um, Anubis, Isis. So people have been combining Christianity and pagan religion or folk religion for as long as Christianity has been around. So if that's something you would like to do, don't let people stop you. Don't let people make you afraid. 
Um, I'm not going to lie to you and say that it's easy, because even though I think we've come a long way and we're beginning to have larger, more public conversations about the blending of the two, there's still going to be a lot of pushback. Um, some people, you know, on the more pagan side of things, don't want anything to do with Christianity. And considering, you know, the persecution of other religions by Christianity that has happened and in many places still does happen, I, I understand that. That's a valid perspective to have. I understand why there are pagans that don't want anything to do with Christianity at all. And I, I uh, used to feel that way at one point in time. And even though I don't consider myself a Christian, um, I do really enjoy incorporating some aspects of Christianity into my magical practice. So I'm going to give you some examples of how I do that. And I want to make it clear that this is not what you have to do. These are just some ways that you can choose to do things if you would like to. So um, one thing that I do, and I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail of this because it has its own episode, um, but I venerate Mary as a goddess. Um, the too long didn't read version of all that information is that uh, through my personal gnosis and through kind of my academic research into the origins of Mary, um, I am convinced that the Anatolian mother goddess that came to be worshipped as Artemis of Ephesus was reimagined and reinterpreted as the cult of the Virgin Mary to kind of survive the process of Christianization. So um, I believe that Mary is a mother goddess and I worship her as a mother goddess. Um, I invoke Jesus and various saints in my practice, sometimes as saints themselves, uh, sometimes if you know I'm engaging in my practice of Candomblé, Lumbanda, the saints are representative of Orishas. For example, um, Saint Michael the Archangel in Candomblé is the mask of the Orisha Lugonide, who's the spirit of androgyny, sexuality, and hunting and fishing. Um, among many you know, other examples of that syncretic tradition in Brazil. Another thing that I do is devotion to the rosary. Again, I did an entire series on um, the magical applications of a rosary, so I'm not going to go into detail about that, but I do pray the rosary as a magical uh, tool of manifestation, as well as a devotion to Mary as Mother Goddess. And um, because if you look at the traditions of Mary, even kind of within the institutional church, there's a lot going on there is deeper than what it appears to be. Mary is the queen of all saints and the queen of all angels. So through veneration to Mary, you have access to many other kinds of spirits. So that, that's a helpful way to look at the womb of Mary as kind of a spiritual door that can open up to different possibilities and different types of interactions with the spiritual world um, for Christian and non-Christian spirits, in my experience. Um, another thing that I do and this kind of goes hand in hand with the veneration of saints, is that I'll pray novenas to saints as part of magical workings. So for instance, if I was going to do a protection spell, um, I might do a novena to Archangel Michael. And I like that because he's um, a particular like, patron saint of mine. So for protective work, um, a lot of the time I will pray to Archangel Michael. I'll do a novena to him over a period of nine days if I feel the need to. I'll do um, a specific St. Michael Chaplet, or I will pray on my St. Michael Rosary for his intercession. And that aligns nicely with kind of my view of things through like a Kabbalistic context and like ceremonial magic, where Michael's not just the Michael of the Bible, but he's also, you know, the spiritual force of the fire element and the spirit of uh, the South, you know. So he has many different roles. But, um, 
finding an intention that you need that aligns with the patronage of a particular spirit is helpful. And the saints, in my experience, are very open to working with newcomers. So a lot of the time, if someone's new to like occultism or any sort of magical practice, they ask me a good starting place, I will recommend a saint because they don't care if they're a Christian or not. They don't care what your background is. They don't really care who's in like know what you're doing because anybody can light a candle and pray to a saint. So um, St. Jude is a very beginner-friendly example. Um, St. Anthony of Padua is a very beginner-friendly example of that, in my opinion. Um, St. Therese of Lisieux is also um, another one that I recommend for beginners. But finding, finding a saint whose patronage aligns with your desire. So for example, if you um, are wanting a new job uh, or an increase in salary at your current job, then maybe you would pray a novena to St. Joseph, who is the spouse of the Virgin Mary and the father of Jesus, but also the patron of laborers and workers. Maybe um, you're struggling with your mental health and you pray to St. Dimitra, who's the patient, uh, the patient, the patron saint of mental health. Um, maybe, you know, and there's anything, you can literally look up a saint for pretty much any situation. There's saints of pretty much every city and town, every country, um, every type of illness or injury has some sort of saint. So, like, for example, if you're having eye problems, St. Lucy is the patron saint of eyes. So th those are the ways that I kind of incorporate those Christian elements into what I do. But I don't feel the need to, like, be a part of the institution of Christianity. I don't feel the need to do, to, uh, do away with my paganism or my witchcraft because people have been blending both of them together for as long as Christianity has been around, and I see no reason why we can't do the same if we would like to. So I hope you enjoyed this. I hope that if you're interested in blending the two things together, you found some inspiration and some jumping off points for how you can begin to do that more intentionally. But I enjoyed talking with you about this, and I will see you all next time.